0: glad that you're here today. Um, I'm excited to be with you and open up God's Word. So if you will, open up to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, in the Bible in front of you, in the, uh, if you don't have one today, you can use that one in front of you. I think it's the 836 is the page number. So 8.36, you can open up to there. Ephesians chapter 2 is where we're going to be. My name is Josh McCaslin. I'm the community engagement pastor here. Our pastor is out today. Um, he is preaching at a southern gospel church in South Arlington, fulfilling uh, some of his bucket list. Uh, not really. I mean, he, he really does want to play behind. He wants to preach behind an organ. Uh, so he's getting to do that this morning, which is great. Uh, what I love more is that he has a heart for discipleship and he has a heart for networking with other believers and other ministers, um, and he, he gets to, he disciples them, and he, uh, he pours into them, and so they've asked him to come speak at his church this morning, and so he's there. And this morning, we are opening up a new series, starting a new series called Grace Is, and so uh, we are going to get that going this morning because Grace, it's amazing. Um, it's incomprehensible. It's undescribable, it's knee-dropping, it's unending, it's unrelenting, it's grace, it's all of those things until you have to give it. And then it turns into something a little bit more difficult. And then, not only is grace those things, but maybe it's none of those things until you receive it. So this morning, and as we begin this series, we're going to open up, what does it mean to fully receive grace, Grace gracefully received, and gracefully given? Gracefully received and gracefully given. So I, driving one morning recently to a soccer game that seems like happens at every weekend at eight o'clock in the morning. For some reason, we get scheduled at eight o'clock in the morning every morning that we do it. And so there I go driving down at about seven o'clock in the morning and my daughter's in the back seat. She has her headphones on and she pulls it out. She's like, dad, can I have a dog? Can I have a puppy? And I'm like, "Uh, no Tatum. You can focus on your position and what you're doing today, which you're going to play soccer and you're holding mid and you need to control the middle by the way, why you're asking. Let's talk about how good you need to do in soccer today. And she puts her headphones back in. <laughs> I probably talked, I don't know if she heard anything at all, but then a couple of seconds later, she's like, Dad, why can't I have a puppy? And I'm like, Because you don't listen to me and you have to be responsible. But regardless, you don't need a puppy, uh, Tatum. You just focus on what you're supposed to be doing, Dad. She knows how to get me. Okay, this is not. This is just not cool. Daughters and dads. It's just not cool. All right. She goes, Dad. If I score a goal, can I get a puppy? And I laugh a little bit inside because I'm like, okay, now we're getting somewhere, right? And, uh, you know, babies, it turns from like M&Ms and then now it's turning into puppies. The older they get, she's 13 years old. And so, sure enough, I see my, I mean, I kind of feel the lasers coming out of my wife's eyes. Like, you better nip this in the bud like right now, okay? And I'm like, sure, Tatum, if you score five goals, I will give you a puppy. And my wife is like, what? And I'm like, chill, it's cool. She scored two goals all last season. She, there's no way she's scoring five goals in this tournament. Okay. I'm just telling you, it's, the, it's a harder level. We're playing in the Lake Highlands and there's, there's no way we're even supposed to be in this league. It's just not happening. Right? So needless to say, here's my picture of God's grace on my life. I, there, yeah, there we are. That, that's like in two weeks she grew from like that to that, all right? It's terrible. It's, it's just, there's my picture of that little God's grace in the form of a stinky, shedding, barking, hyper-chewing grace. That's my little penny. That's her name, Penny. So uh, I say mine. It's ours because you know how those things are. The responsibility. It's just not put in the kids so therefore we could take care of it so all that to say what I want to help you understand this morning is that as I start to think and wrap my head around grace that grace has many forms and in fact it's just extremely daunting to get up here and to think about how to explain grace to you and to go and to do a thorough evaluation of what grace is because there's so many things that it's not and there's so many things that it is and the the hardest part is we live in a culture today and we live in a society today that is extremely hard to show grace. It's extremely difficult to to display God's desire for us to other people and to to fully take what God has done in the example of him and to live that out. And so as we go through this series, we want to remember and think about what does it mean to fully receive grace and what does it mean to fully give grace, all right? So let's look at his word because his word is the only thing that's ever going to do it justice and give us a great starting and ending point for grace. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2. Verses 3 is where we're going to start. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. and This is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Amen is right. So the context of this verse is Paul is talking to the church of Ephesus. Paul spent some time in Ephesus and he is, he's writing back to them. And he's making some things clear to them. Ephesus was a epicenter for market and commerce and worship. There was a, all types of worship that were going on there. And, and it, it, there were secular worship with uh, Greek gods were being worshipped and Roman gods were being worshipped. And, and when, G, when Paul is talking to the church of Ephesus, he's talking to Jews and non-Jews alike. Paul is a Jew and so he's making it very clear that we're all a part of one purpose now. And there's all these different religions that are saying all these different things. But here's what I want you to know. And here's what's important for you to know, whether Jew or non-Jew. He said, all of us in verse three, we deserve the wrath of God. All of us are deserving God's death, um, death, because we've all fallen short and we're all in need of God's mercy. So as I think about that and I ponder upon that, that's not something easy for a believer to even think about. That's not something for us to to even like to take upon us and to go, well, this is who I am, I deserve death. It takes us a while to figure out what that actually even really means. And only when we receive God's grace fully do we understand what we needed and how we deserved the wrath of God. The, the, the mental picture that I get as I'm thinking about that and as, as Paul is referring this and saying this to these people, I think of, uh, of like a football game where there's these linemen and they're all lined up and they're all sitting there next to each other and they're all ready to go and they have a play and they have a purpose and they're getting ready to go and for some reason the quarterback does says something weird or something wrong because quarterbacks are weird and it's like that sometimes and he says his cadence and for some reason one of the linemen jumps or goes across and it false starts or is offsides and so the penalty the, 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 the whistle blows. The penalty flag is thrown. And sure enough, right after that happens, what's the next thing that happens? Is they jump back and they're like, he did it. No, no, it was him. And they're all both pointing at each other. Because that's, that's our nature. We don't want to be known as wrong. We don't want to be the one to know that we messed up. It's, it's, it's a reaction that's quick that we just, it's a part of kind of who we are. It's easy for us, for us to point in that, in a different direction. That's why Satan is called the accuser. And that's exactly what is happening here that Paul is reminding the Ephesians. He's saying, listen, you deserve God's wrath because of our disobedience, because we've given in to sin because we've not done what God has wanted us to do. And we've given in to those cravings. We, we deserve the wrath of God and we need God's mercy. We, we tend to do that with our relationships and pointing at people. We tend to do that whenever something fails at work or we make a bad decision and, and then something else happens and we, we begin to quick, it, be quick into making these excuses of why it went wrong. And Paul's saying, hey, remember, you were dead and you deserved wrath, but God was rich in mercy. So there's something important that we need to make a differentiation in today. And there's the words mercy and grace. We see in verse 5 how it says that we deserve God's wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Mercy is something that we need and it's important, but mercy and grace are different. So if you're taking notes today, this would be a good place for you to be able to write according to the scripture, just kind of a quick way to, to separate these. Number one is mercy is not getting what we deserve. It's as simple as mercy is not getting what we deserve. We have to own that God was supposed to give us his wrath. And so because God's loving us, he's rich in mercy, so he's not giving us what we deserve, which is death. But instead, he's giving us grace. He's giving us mercy and he's giving us grace. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. So mercy is not getting what we deserve, and grace is getting what we don't deserve. Not only did God not give us his wrath, and he did not pour his wrath out upon us, but he also gave us, in his grace, gave us Jesus, who's given us abundant life and eternal life. That is the, the essence of the gospel, that we, we don't get what we deserve. But not only that, grace is we get what we don't deserve. So the, by definition, what I want us to do with grace, that's a way to differentiate The definition for grace that we're going to use in this series, and Craig uses it in his his teachings as well as we move forward, is uh, grace is God's undeserving favor. Is God's undeserved favor, sorry. God's undeserved favor. We see in verse 5 through 7 says, so he made us alive in Christ when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming age we might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So, I'm looking at the incredible riches of God that He's asking and He's he's providing for us. And I think so many times we kind of leave this short in the way that we're explaining the gospel and we're saying that Jesus died for us so that we can have abundant life. But what does it mean about, He's gonna give us abundance in according to His riches that He has. I mean, God who, who knows everything and has everything he, he wants to give us his incredible, he wants to give us everything. He, he desires for us. Well, so why what's in it for me? That's exactly what Peter asked. In Matthew 19, he's talking to his disciples. And Peter is talking, well, he's actually listening to, to Jesus, and Jesus says, he talks about the rich young ruler, and he's talking about everything he has to give up so that he can be able to, to receive the kingdom and all of the riches of the eternity. And, and then he goes on and he says, this is what Jesus says. He says, with man, this is not possible. With God, all things are possible. And I'm, I love it because I'm like, yes, it sounds so good. But Peter, this is his response. Well, we've given up everything. What do we get? And there's a certain part of me that wants to like, kind of have a dad moment, especially because I've learned. And I would be like, Peter, you cannot have a puppy. All right. <laughs> No, you need to chill this time. Follow me, and we'll figure this thing out, right? We'll get this. We'll, we'll we'll get this, and you'll figure it out as we go. But now, Jesus, he always he didn't come. Jesus didn't come to abolish the law and take the law away. He came to fulfill the law. He came to do everything that it was meant to do to give us life. God today wants to give you life, abundant life. And eternal life so this is what he says in Matthew chapter uh, 20 uh, 19 verses 28 this is right after uh, Peter asked him well what are we gonna get Jesus said truly I say to you in the new world when the son of man will sit on his glorious throne you will have followed me with also and will also sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. He speaks to Peter in the way that he always speaks, which is in the kingdom currency that he gives to us and that continually pours out. And in order for us to continually receive grace fully, we have to be open to trusting and having faith in God's plan and not our plan. And so Jesus says right to him, I will give you a hundredfold because you have given up everything for me and eternal life. I will give you a hundredfold. So here's the thing, I think there are two types of people and I say two types of people, we're just gonna categorize ourselves here today and I want you to put yourself maybe in one of these spots, kind of entertain the thought of, of who, what category that you'd be in. I think there's two, t- two types of people that are, they have a hard time receiving God's grace and in essence giving it, okay? Number one is this, it's the broken person. It's the broken person. There are many people here today who maybe be, they're broken, you have a broken relationship. You, you've maybe done some things in your past that have, that have caused you to have broken fellowship with, with friends and family or people or jobs, and you're just broken. And maybe we've all been through that place, but, but brokenness is somewhere that you, you kind of stay, that's just where, that's where you are. And because you, here's the deal, brokenness is actually a good thing. We need to be broken. It's only gonna be able, we're only gonna be able to receive God if we're broken, we have broken hearts so that we can be able to receive healing, we can receive, receive uh, restoration, that we can have uh, our sin uh, uncovered and realize our brokenness so that we can be healed. But the, the problem is is that we stay in our brokenness. But brokenness, it connects us. Brokenness leads to connectedness. So a lot of times we can, we can arm in arm around people who are broken but sometimes it turns into a victim mentality. It turns into finger pointing. It turns into us living in our brokenness and identifying with our brokenness. And the end game and the end goal is for not us to live broken, but for us to be fully restored. The end game is for us to be fully healed. And that in that, when we receive the full grace of God, We believe that we can be. Because here's the deal, if it's not good, God is not finished. If it's not good, then God's not finished in your life. That's his promise. That's what he wants for you. The second type of person is the good enough. I mean, my life is good enough. Like, I mean, I've accepted Jesus, I've asked Jesus to come into my heart, um, or maybe not that, maybe, maybe it's just like I've done good things. In fact, I do probably better things than others. I mean, there's a lot of people who do better than me, but I'm not perfect, but who is perfect? But I'm just, I'm good enough. I do some good things. I, I, I really want to do good things. I go to church. I mean, I do my best to read the Bible. And we identify ourselves as well, I'm kinda of doing better than other, everyone else, or so I'm doing better than some other people, and, and oh, come on, like, I mean, you gotta give me some slack here, right? Give me some grace. The problem is that comparison is the thief of joy. And when we receive God's grace fully, our joy will grow exponentially. So sometimes our good enough mentality we kind of live in this zombie land, this zombie world of just walking through and just doing these spiritual duties and just kind of walking through life and hoping that the next day is better than the next day and, and just continually moving and just this, this pace where it's, I'm just good enough. Life's just good enough. And that's never been the intention for God's gift to us in Jesus on the cross. Here's my example. so. Um, I just found out recently there's a family that lives in Coppell, Uh, it's uh, Tara and Taylor, I mean, sorry, Tara and Todd, they're the parents, and they lost their daughter, uh, Taylor, who's 13 years old, they lost, she uh, was killed in a skiing accident. And, um, And so Tara and Todd just had to go through whatever that is that you go through. You can't imagine, as a parent, it's just the worst nightmare. And as they begin to bury their daughter and have a funeral um, and they donated their organs, they just had to work through that whole process. There was a lady named Patricia in Phoenix who needed a heart transplant. She had been six months in a bed where she just couldn't even move. She couldn't, she, couldn't, she had no quality of life. She was younger. And Taylor's heart matched up perfectly with her, and she had a heart, transpa- heart transplant that was successful. And so, uh, a years down the road, Taylor and Tara, they went and visited Patricia. And they flew to Phoenix, and it said when they opened the door, this is coming from a book uh, by Max Cato called Grace, and uh, he said when they walked through the door, it says they both got up and they ran to each other and they embraced. And Tara got to hear the heartbeat of her daughter. Tara and Patricia, they know the importance of a heart transplant. They know what a heart transplant does. They know that it, it, it's, there was a sacrifice that was there but it brought life. And it doesn't make sense all the time and it doesn't it's not always easy but god desires for us to more than just being good enough more than just us being connected in our brokenness god desires more than us uh, than than more of us than just getting into heaven getting into heaven is not the goal it's not the goal getting heaven into you is the goal that's the end game that's where you live a heart transplant ezekiel 36:26 god speaking and he says i will give you a new heart and i will put a new spirit i will put within you 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 have the power of the Holy Spirit within you. If it's not good, He's not finished with you yet. If you're here and you're breathing today, He's not finished with you yet. And there's a grace that you can receive today and it's more than just us trying to do good things. It's more than us just trying to achieve something great and trying to climb over the top and trying to be successful so when we, be, when we are successful, all of a sudden we'll have a voice or we'll have money and we can give back in that. And if I could just get all those things right, then I'll be able to do and I'll be able to live for God because I'll be enough. But he doesn't say that. He says it in verse nine and verse 10. He says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God not by works, so that no one will boast. That word works. There in that context, it, it's, the Greek word is ergon, which is different than the works that he talks about in, in verse 10. That word in the Greek, it actually had the implications and it, ha, it was revolving around the word works that was um, in the law for the Jews. And so what that was saying was there's these, you had the law and there's all these things that actually separated people, God's people and protected God's people. That was like the law was like this hedge of protection around them. And that actually helped them also connect with God. But when Jesus came, by his grace, all of us, we get into the family of God. He's reminding the Ephesians this, right? But he, these, they're Christians, they're believers, They've seen Jesus, they've heard Jesus, but he's having to continually remind them that, listen, it's not by works. And today, I I can't tell you enough how much we live under the law of performance. We live under trying to be good enough for our family. We put that on our spouses. We put that on our neighbors. We are constantly pointing fingers. But God's grace is so much more than that. It's what's within us. That's what Jesus was saying whenever he was talking and he was given telling disciples about the 10 lepers. And he, was, he said, hey, there were 10 lepers that came to me and they said they, were, they have mercy on us and heal us. And Jesus said, go, go and be cleansed. You will be healed. Go to the priest and show yourself. And they all went and it said they were healed as they went. They were dirty, they were messed up, they were gross. And in their action of faith, they begin being healed as they went away. But this is why it's hard. It's because God's currency is different. And it said only one returned. And said, thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. You're so gracious. And he said, go, your faith has healed you. Jesus healed the the paralytic as he was put through the the roof and there's all these people there and there's Pharisees and all these people in this house and he's lowered down and what does he say to the paralytic he says your sins are forgiven go get up walk for you're healed he says your sins are forgiven the most important thing that you can hear from this message today is that God's gift for you in a hundredfold return as his promise is that we receive his grace and we see through kingdom mind and through kingdom heart. And that today it's not about what we do. It's not about how we perform. It's not about what we did good or bad but it's that God has grace on us and he has a plan for us and we receive his grace through faith and that's what saves us. It saves us every day because it's not about just there, it's about here and that's what gets us through today and tomorrow. That's what allows us to be a light in a dark world is that we have hope for eternity and that hope begins now and we have something to give today and it's God's grace and it's whatever it is that we've received for today. It's peace, it's hope, it's healing. It's, there's a better day. It's that we're gonna find answers and we're gonna seek God and God's going to be good to us. Why? Because if it's not good, he's not finished yet. And so we can hold on to hope. My question is today, do you have faith in him in that way? Because that's all he's asking. Don't look at your brokenness. Don't look at your good enough. Just look at him. He doesn't ever make us feel guilty. Everybody that he heals, everyone that comes to him. Peter, whenever he's asking him questions, he doesn't say, dudes, chill, stop asking these questions. He says, go. Walk in faith. Believe. I have a hundredfold more for you and eternal life. God has a hundredfold for you today. As we receive God's grace on our life, we start to see it, and we start to act differently. Last thing I want to close with. I told this story at, at our night of worship, and um, and it really it, it was it was a moment that affected me for a long time. And there was a lot of things that happened that day. But I went on a trip to Africa, and I brought some youth with us, and we were going to go, um, and we were going to go. Do, put on a youth camp for a couple thousand people and then we we're going to also go um, to the slums and we we're going to feed some people in the slums and have church there. And so when I was going there, I was trying to prepare my mind for it. I was trying to prepare my heart for it. and I was trying to prepare our kids. And as I did that, I was thinking, okay, God, just help me be ready for what I'm going to see and what I'm going to experience because I know that it's not going to be great um and it's going to be difficult for me but it's going to be a good perspective so help me give my give me eyes and ears so i can see and hear it and so in my mind i i, I put this like kind of like fort worth or dallas areas that are kind of low in poverty and are there's tough areas that i've maybe gone to before and i've just said okay this is kind of be what it's like so i got to be ready for this and we pulled up over the top of a slum right outside of kenya in nairobi and it was just as far as we could go. And they were like, this is the slums and this is where we're gonna go serve. And I looked and I'm like, well, what part? And they're like, all of it. And I'm like, what do you mean all of it? They're like, all of it, from far as you can see. They're like, it's geographically the size of San Francisco. This is the slum. And as we got closer to it, I saw that there was like these little rooms that have like tarps and they have little sheet metal on the sides of them. And they have uh, extension cords with little lights and lamps and stuff that are, that are strung together. Um, and that's, that's where they live. That's, that's how they lived. And there was, there was no plumbing. It was just sewage that was everywhere. And it was for miles and miles and days and days. And I, I was like, okay, we can do this. You know, I got to lead these people. I got to lead my guys. We got to do, we have we got this, you know, and I got closer into it. And we worshiped in the slum and we met a lot of great people and, and, our hearts were heavy, but then they were like, hey, we're going to go to a feeding program. We're going to feed the street people of the slum. And I'm like, what's the street people? And they're like, well, it's people who don't have a place in the, in, in the slum. They don't have a place to live. I'm like, how do you not have a place to live? And because they were just scrounging for everything. And they're like, some of them live in the trash heaps, So the trash heaps were sometimes, sometimes like miles long. And so we were going to this feeding program with this ministry called Joy Divine. There was a man named Fred who is just a a extreme encouragement to me. And he took these kids out of the street and he gave them food and he gave them clothes and he gave them a place to go to school. Uh, He registered them for school to make sure they're getting to school. And they were street kids who were uh, in the slums. And now he had kind of raised up. There's over 25 of them. These kids were the ones that were, um, they were actually well-behaved. They looked well, uh, you know, for what they had and they were serving um all the other people that came in for the street feeding and we got to help and be a be a part of that we uh, about two hours long is how long the feeding was and i'm telling you every 15 to 20 minutes i had to walk out i i couldn't handle and my kids are walking out and i'm like trying to walk out with them and i'm trying to be strong hard to be strong because I just didn't get it because they were bringing these bottles of glue in and you couldn't really tell but there was bottles of glue and that was the way that they come it was airplane glue and that's how they they curbed hunger and so there's these moms that had these babies and they were literally giving it to their babies and then giving it to themselves at the same time and and they just they were every one of them just looked lifeless they just look hopeless and the director came up to me and he's like, hey, I, would you give a word? I'd like for you to give a devotion in the middle of this uh, this talk. And I was like, sure, you know, and uh, I'll, I'll do that. And I walk outside and I really, I started to hyperventilate. I was like, <laughs> cause you know, I get a chance here and being trained and, and being discipled and, and I get to preach in front of, you know, very, intellectual people and academic, and, and I care about theology and I care about doctrine and I'm not always the best at it, but I'm like, I just, I care about it. And I care about the word and I just wanna, I wanna hold it tightly and I wanna help you see God differently in the way that he, he intends it. And, but at that moment, I had nothing. Nothing I could say was going to help, it didn't seem. So I gave my devotion. And I just spoke to the hope of God. And I felt like it was not enough. And I got done and the director came up to me and he said, he said, man, thank you for sharing your word. He said this morning, that was, that scripture is what I prayed over in my devotion as I was praying over our kids today. And so thank you for that. It meant a lot. And uh, another marker in the grace that I've been given. To be able to speak boldly about the gospel see what i want you to do is walk out of here today understanding that god's grace is a gift and he is giving it to you and as you walk out of here today in the middle of your mess of your relationships in the middle of the mess of your mind in the middle of the mess of your agendas in the middle of the mess of of our world and where it's at, that God is in control and that he is orchestrating and he is giving new life. And it's only in him that we find it. And nothing we can do can compare to what God can do. So we have to give him our heart completely every day If you're not a believer here today, and you're not sure, and you've never received Jesus today, and you've never asked Jesus to take over your life, and you've never had that heart transplant, today can be your day. But if you have, and you think that that's the purpose, is for what you got at that moment, that's just the beginning. That's the moment that heaven comes into you. We have to own it. We have to own why we deserve what we deserve. And we have to receive God's grace every day so that we can walk in it, so that we have a story to tell. Because if it's not good, then he's not finished. Insecurity is the biggest killer of dreams way more than failure. And you can be secure today in knowing that God loved you enough and he has a purpose enough for you today in what you're doing and where you're going and the relationships you're around. He he loves you that much and has that much of a purpose for you that he sent his son to die for you. So today you can walk out of here and you can be an example of healing. You can be an example of restoration. Because if it's not good in your life, he's not done. And he promises that you'll have a hope and a future. And it's a hundredfold return for now and eternity. Can you hear God saying, maybe your life needs to look differently Maybe you're you're looking at the wrong things. And maybe you need to look at something differently that God has already put in your life that he's given you that will activate your faith, will activate success in other people, will activate your family going to a different level of giving back and expressing grace fully. Giving grace fully. The enemy wants you to focus on what you don't have so you won't use what you do have against him. And you are armed with the grace of God through faith.